Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Tidewater third quarter 2021 financial results conference call. At this time, all lines are in the listen-only mode. But following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. Also note that the call is recorded on Thursday, November 4th, 2021. At this time, I would like to turn the call over to Tom Hems. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, and uh, welcome everyone to Tidewater Midstream's third quarter conference call. This is an exciting quarter for us, as it's the, the first quarter including consolidated results from a recent Tidewater Renewables spinoff. Uh, so I'm Tom Hems, Director of Investor Relations. On the call with me today is Joel McLeod, Tidewater's Chairman and CEO, and Doug Beamer, Tidewater's VP of Corporate Finance. Uh, before uh, passing the call over to Joel for a review of the quarterly highlights, I'd like to remind you that some of the comments made today may be forward-looking in nature and are based on Tidewater's current expectations, estimates, judgments, and projections. Forward-looking statements uh, we may express or imply today are subject to risk and uncertainties, which can cause actual results to differ from expectations. Further, some of the information provided refers to non-GAAP measures. And uh, to know more about these forward-looking statements and non-GAAP measures, please see the company's various reports which are available on TidewaterMidstream.com and CDAR. With that, I'll hand the call over to Joel McLeod for key highlights. Thanks, Tom. Good morning, and thank you for joining our Q3 2021 conference call. We are proud to have now delivered 10 consecutive quarters of record per share adjusted EBITDA growth and delivered 53 million of adjusted EBITDA in Q3 2021. This represents an 11% increase in per share adjusted EBITDA year over year, Gross consolidated distributable cash flow was $17 million for the quarter, where deconsolidated distributable cash flow was $15.8 million. And wanted to clarify that moving forward, we will likely focus on the deconsolidated distributable cash flow number. This is the first quarter. Our 69% owned subsidiary in Tidewater Renewables is reporting after our successful IPO. We continue to see strong results and growth into Q4 and 2022 with producer activity, increased volumes, dramatically improved producer netbacks, and increased refined product demand and crack spreads. We continue to execute and grow a significant inventory of high rate of return capital projects with two to three year payouts. The Prince George refinery and the Pipestone gas plant continue to run at high utilization rates. We'll get into the details here in a couple minutes. Continued consolidation and new investment in the energy sector, as well as a material recovery in commodity prices, had an overall positive impact on producer balance sheets, and Tidewater Midstream continues to work with its customers on ways to improve margins and related service offerings. Tidewater Midstream remains positive about the outlook for commodity prices, energy transition, and renewable sectors, where Tidewater Midstream is uniquely positioned to play a key role in the continued development of renewable fuels, carbon capture, renewable natural gas, and renewable hydrogen through our subsidiary, Tidewater Renewables. 
but also with Tidewater Midstream's existing assets, including acid gas injection, large sour plants, and having one of two refineries within in British Columbia. Over to Prince George, our Prince George refinery. During the third quarter of 2021, total throughput was approximately 12,200 barrels a day, an increase of 7% from the previous quarter and consistent with the third quarter of 2020. In August 2021, Tidewater Renewables commissioned its canola co-processing project and began processing canola feedstock, which yields both renewable gasoline and renewable diesel. Prince George crack spreads remain strong, averaging just over $60 a barrel during the quarter, consistent with the first and second quarter of 2021. The corporation realized increased diesel demand during the third quarter as compared to the second quarter of 2021 due to the end of of spring breakup and continuation of the local industry activity. Gasoline demand remained consistent quarter over quarter. The strong Prince George crack spread continues to demonstrate the strength of the regional refining market. Net throughput volumes at Tidewater Midstream's gas processing and extraction facilities average approximately 432 million cubic feet a day during the third quarter of 2021, an 11% increase as compared to 390 million cubic feet a day for the same period of 2020, primarily as a result of record throughput at the Pipestone gas plant. The Pipestone gas plant processed its highest average volume of 97 million cubic feet a day in the third quarter of 2021, a 35% increase from the third quarter of 2020 and an increase of 5% from the second quarter of 2021. Facility availability for the third quarter of 2021 averaged 93%, an increase of 90% uh, from the third quarter of 2020. During the month of September 2021, or 2021, there was a six-day planned maintenance outage which resulted in a small decrease in facility availability as compared to the second quarter of 2021. Overall, the Pipestone gas plant continued to perform well during the first quarter, with August averaging a record daily throughput of approximately 102 million cubic feet a day with 97% facility availability. The Montney area continues to remain very active and the plant remains fully contracted with over 85% committed capacity on take-or-pay arrangements. Throughput at our Brazil River gas processing facility for the third quarter of 2021 increased by 8% compared to the second quarter of 2021. Strong eco gas prices in the first uh, six months have uh, increased producer activity near the BRC. Tidewater Midstream continues to look for opportunities to increase third-party plant throughput by working diligently with producers to improve netbacks by utilizing the BRC facilities, which include gas storage and NGL fractionation. Our 69% owned subsidiary released its inaugural quarter of 44 days of results and performed well with 5 million of EBITDA over the 44-day period and supported by 10 to 15-year agreements. Tidewater Renewables expects to generate 150 million of annualized run rate EBITDA in 2023 once the renewable diesel and renewable hydrogen complex come online in Q1 2023. The project remains on time and on budget. I do want to thank our staff, board shareholders, credit syndicate partners, and all stakeholders for all your support. We look forward to continuing to deliver strong results into the remainder of 2021 and into 2022. I'll pass it over to Mr. Beamer, our VP Finance, and he'll walk you through the financial highlights of our Q3. Thank you, Joel. Good day, everyone. 
glad to be invited to discuss the financial highlights for Tidewater Midstream. As, as previously mentioned, overall, we are very pleased with the successful launch of our subsidiary Tidewater Renewables and its initial public offering. On August 18th, Tidewater Midstream spun out certain renewable assets to its wholly owned subsidiary, Tidewater Renewables, which then proceeded to close its IPO for gross proceeds of $160 million, including a, an over-allotment exercise. As a result of the transaction, Tidewater Midstream's ownership represents approximately 69% of the outstanding common shares of Tidewater Renewables, with Tidewater Midstream retaining a majority equity stake. The majority ownership position gives Tidewater Midstream control over Tidewater Renewables, and therefore we report our financial results on a consolidated basis. Any transactions between Tidewater Midstream and Tidewater Renewables are eliminated on consolidation in Tidewater Midstream's consolidated financial statements. Where appropriate, we provide deconsolidated financial information within our MDNA and on this conference call. Our consolidated revenue for the quarter was $434 million, representing a 17% increase from the prior quarter and a 59% increase over the same period last year, in large part basically the strengthening of commodity prices and continued strong demand at the Prince George refinery and throughput at Pipestone. Consolidated operating margin, which includes realized gains on hedges, was approximately $55 million in, in the third quarter, representing just a small decrease from the prior quarter to, in Q2, and a 13% increase from the same period in 2020. Our midstream margins are consistently around the 50%, and our refinery margins around uh, and downstream around 10%. Consolidated adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter was approximately $53.1 million, and as Joel mentioned, represents our 10th consecutive quarter of EBITDA growth. In addition to reviewing fully consolidated results, we present adjusted EBITDA and net debt on a deconsolidated basis to highlight Tidewater Midstream's financial position, excluding the impact of our ownership in Tidewater Renewables. Tidewater Midstream's reportable distributable cash flow excludes Tidewater Renewables' uh, distributable cash flow to its 31% non-controlling interest shareholders. The corporation's deconsolidated adjusted EBITDA was $47.7 million for the quarter, and the corporation's distributable cash flow was approximately $15.8 million versus the $17.3 from the previous quarter, resulting in a payout ratio of 21%. Consolidated net debt was $643 million, and deconsolidated net debt was $609 million versus $743 million in the prior quarter. The decrease is a, is a result of the proceeds from the IPO of Tidewater Renewables. With the receipt of the Pioneer proceeds in Q2 and the resulting IPO proceeds, Tidewater Midstream has been able to successfully deleverage within our three to three and a half times range debt to EBITDA range target. With those financial highlights, I, I will pass it back to Tom Hems and uh, open it up for questions from there. Yeah, thanks Joel and Doug for the, the overview there. And I think with that, we can turn it back to the operator for questions. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. 
And if you would like to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star one now if you have any questions. And your first question will be from Rob Hope at Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, you know, with Tidewater Midstream's uh, leverage now in its targeted range, and that previously was a bit of a handcuff there, you know, what are the most attractive kind of quick payback opportunities that you have in the hopper right now? And how quickly do you think you can convert those to kind of potential into sanctions? Yeah, good question, Rob. Um, so with producer activity picking up, I think on the midstream side of our business, one example would be a, a four-ish million dollar tie-in that we're, we're likely to move forward with, which would be backstopped by a contract. And that's actually down at Brazil, but I'm just giving you an example of a project that we're likely to move forward with in the next three to six months. We'd have our, our bucket today of roughly 50 to $60 million of capital that we'd be confident that we can deploy and deliver three-year payouts, but that would be one example. Brazo River, gathering line expansion, sub-three-year payout, $4 million type of project. And then over in the downstream side of our business, it would be continual de-bottlenecks with cracks where they are, continuing to de-bottleneck even our FCC now, um, but also our, our Unifiner, our Reformer. Um, we are starting to look at a, a, a larger propylene splitter project for us, large in the $15 million range. We still have a little work to do there. We have propylene at the refinery. Today, it, it has sulfur in it, so it's discounted. We have to send it down to the Gulf Coast to have the propylene fractionated, um, but we are looking at roughly a $15 million project uh, to move that propylene to our own splitter and then monetize uh, the, that propylene or even have an investment-grade offtake. Um, given we have canola running through the refinery too, there's potential that the, our products, including our propylene, will have renewable content. So those would just be some examples. Um, bigger projects, Pipestone 1.5, uh, I know it was on markets' uh, eyes and, and questions coming in there. Obviously, with activity picking up, there's definitely a chance uh, we can sanction a Pipestone 1.5 or maybe even a 2.0, but probability would be about the same as it was last quarter, kind of in the 50% range as far as being able to get customer support. Then, obviously, we'd want to ensure we have a, a financing plan where we don't take our leverage uh, up to, to four times uh, debt but even on, on the bill, but I think we'll have lots of different options to, to finance a, a project like a Pipestone, um, but today uh, it's not at the front of the line quite yet, just given the customer support. It's strengthening, don't get me wrong, but it's not into the 80 or 90% probability yet. Um, but otherwise, it would be just optimization of our assets. You'll see public data would show we permitted a fractionation facility at Atchison a couple of years ago. With the outages we saw at Fort Saskatchewan, there's a chance. Again, probability would be sub 50%, but I think you're just asking for, for uh, kind of examples of, of capital projects, and those would be a few. All right, oh, that's great, Color. I appreciate that. And then, you know, as you take a look at kind of the, the build cycle for these plans, you know, are you going to focus more on the small ones until the uh, you know, renewable diesel plant is done at Tidewater Renewables, and then you know, that does open up the balance sheet even a little bit further for uh, some of the larger opportunities? I would say today we're definitely focused on the smaller projects, high rate of return. It's resulted in our 
kind of 10 consecutive quarters of growth and we expect that to continue but would hate our shareholders or the market to think that if if a pipe stone expansion was in front of us that we would pass i think we'd watch our balance sheet so we'd ensure we don't blow through any guardrails on our balance sheet but there continues to be i think options to finance a, a pipe stone uh, 1.5 there's still a lot of private equity even some of the producers who are doing well i think may want to participate potentially as well so just would want to re- relay that our balance sheet is paramount we do not want to head back up into the four-time debt t better range all right that's helpful that's it for me thank you thank you next question will be from robert catelier at cibc please go ahead Okay, sort of a follow-up to the last train of uh, questioning there, but, uh, you know, you have these strong commodity prices, and yet um, you're still at the 50% line for uh, pushing a, a pipe stone expansion through. And, uh, you know, I believe that's the same for uh, your peer group. Uh, so, in other words, despite these great prices, uh, producers just aren't really moving forward yet with um, with furthering development in a way that requires more um, infrastructure. What do you think it's going to take to get there? Um, it, you know, the, these netbacks have to be irresistible. So clearly it's something else. Do you think it's still balance sheet repair on the producer side? Does it have to do with the Blue Bear River First Nations uh, case and interim agreements or something else? Yeah, Rob, it, it, it's a great question. It's definitely not a pipe stone, a blueberry issue, given we're on the Alberta side of the border, but it's a, it's a good question. So definitely not a blueberry issue for Pipestone. To your point, it's we're seeing dividend bumps every day. I think today we saw two, Paramount, uh, CNRL, and then the bigger entities obviously aren't as relevant, but even the smaller guys, I think, are return, want to understand how they're going to return capital to shareholders. And you could tell that's a real theme versus accelerating capital. Um, I do think at some point, some and there are a few that are doing small bumps, but if this continues and the economics, even the well results, the efficiencies we're seeing, Rob, are, are getting better and better, I do think you will see. I don't think you're going to see necessarily massive acceleration in capital or our capital budget going 3x or 4x, but even if we start to see 25-50% bumps on capital projects should commodity prices hold, that'll have a, a material impact to, to the ability to, to contract out a Pipestone 1.5. But even down at Brazo, would want to be clear, we're seeing more third-party volume there than we've seen in, I don't know, five years. And to have tie-in projects to fill Brazo are just great capital projects for us with sub three-year payout. So we're definitely seeing more volumes and more activity, but to your point, it's not a an incremental increase of 50% like we're looking for up at Pipestone right now. Right. And, um, you know, it just doesn't seem like you're, you're missing anything. It's just, you know, you're getting the stuff that's available and just the bigger stuff just doesn't seem to be happening yet. Uh, at some point, uh, probably gets there. Well, that's it for me. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Your next question will be from Andrew Kuski at Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I guess the question really relates to just a strategic perspective because you've successfully launched Tidewater Renewables and you've got this clear divide between the two companies and all the benefits that go with that from a Tidewater midstream standpoint. And, you know, to your comments, Joel, earlier on the call, it's really like your cup runneth over with the opportunities you've got. But if you could look at this in a sort of unconstrained fashion, 
you know, what would you really focus on and what sort of white space do you need to fill in to really drive further shareholder value? It's a, it's a great question. The good news is we're seeing more opportunities, customer support than we've, we've ever seen. And then to have existing infrastructure with acid gas injection that we do feel we can leverage into carbon capture, but even the inbounds we've seen around petrochemical facilities around on top of some of our big sour plants with, with carbon capture, I think does get quite interesting. The good news is some of these groups do have capital behind them, so we don't necessarily have to write a big check or stress our balance sheet, and balance sheet is paramount, want to be clear. Um, but we want to focus. I know uh, one of our, our biggest criticisms at times has been, been focus. We would say adding to our value chain has been a big part of our success. So Pipestone, I would say, is a huge focus for Tidewater Midstream and then Prince George as well. To have one of the, the most profitable refineries in all of North America, debottlenecking that refinery, co-processing, um, having a renewables angle to it, uh, uh, we look forward to expanding them over the next three to five years. So Pipestone and uh, Prince George are definitely where our focus is today, but to see the growth we're seeing around Brazil and then even at Ram River, to see the interest more on, on petrochemical type opportunities with carbon capture, low carbon intensity, fuels to plastics, not quite real yet, and some of that we'll, we'll want to keep somewhat confidential, but just trying to give you a sense of the flavor of some of the opportunities. And, and as you know, and, and folks know on the call, getting scale and having long-term offtakes is something we need in order to improve our, our cost of capital. That That's helpful. And then maybe just coming back to the, the two that you emphasize, being Pipestone and, and PGR, could you maybe give us some color and flavor on you know the carbon capture opportunity that exists, and maybe it's more Pipestone than anything, given the, the concentration of emissions that come off of a processing facility, and how you think about the investment potential in particular with carbon prices rising in Canada. Yep, and, uh, and we would agree. We, smart guy like yourself or other um, analysts can pull public data and see there isn't a well uh, within Prince George uh, 50 kilometers, so we would need to look at a strat test or look at other ways to capture the carbon there. So you hit it on that carbon capture today. Uh, we're at Pipestone, we have acid gas injection, so we are injecting CO2 downhole uh, today, um, but just want to, everyone to be aware as well, we also have uh, acid gas injection at Atchison today, so just outside of Edmonton, we inject CO2 and H2S downhole as well, and we own 450 acres there, heavy industrial site. I would say that is definitely a prime candidate for, for carbon capture and or low carbon intensity Fuels, uh, Ram River is a large heavy industrial site where we inject water today and are uh, working through ways to, to ensure we'd also have, have CO2 pore space and then we'd have Paddle River and Parkland where we have a non-opposition at the Parkland plant has acid gas injection and then Paddle River also has uh, acid gas injection capability. So there's multiple assets there and starting to have discussions with various groups about uh, ways to, to leverage those existing acid gas in injection wells. At Pipestone, an expansion um, and working through ways as our, our friends at Advantage and Entropy are to leverage their acid gas injection, I would say we, we have similar ideas and have 
150 plus field staff that have operated sour plants and acid gas injection for for 30 40 plus years so more work to be done um, but uh, for us quite interesting and and really it would be just capturing more carbon than we are today at a pipe storm would be a nice one but larger scale it would be as does a large scale project get added probably not at Pipestone, but initially at one of our other large-scale facilities to have low-carbon intensity fuels at those large sour gas plants with acid gas injection. Okay, that's great. I appreciate the thorough answer. Thanks, Thank Andrew. You. Thank you. Your next question will be from Robert Kwan at RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great, good morning. Um, just going back to the nature of the discussions you're having with producers, you know, you still seem or saying you're cautious kind of in that 50-50 on the pipestone, but also noting the producer activity uh, in and around the BRC. So just as you're having those discussions with producers and you're trying to, I'm interested in your take on the producer thought process. Do you think it's just they want to take advantage of pricing here and now and produce into existing infrastructure versus, um, you know, taking a long-term view and underpinning the new infrastructure, is that really the difference between what's going on at Pipestone versus the BRC? Yeah, Rob, it's, it's a good question. I think in general, the smaller producers after the COVID crisis, how credit essentially left the small cap, the mid street, the, the mid cap space, there's just concern. What, what does the next two, three, four years look? Commodity prices are strong today, steep backwardation. So yes, you could, could hedge out a portion, but if we saw any economic type event or a roll-off in commodities for them to enter into a five-year, a 10-year take or pay, and we'd love a 10-year take or pay, not a five, there's just just uh, concern. And then the credit facilities for not not the larger producers, but the mid-cap and the small-cap is just not what, what it used to be. So I think there needs to be uh, sustained commodity prices in this environment, more capital flow in, be it an equity raise or, or also credit support. But as we're all seeing, um, producers are taking on less debt and credit, so it, it's likely going to require equity. And we haven't seen a significant amount of equity financings on the, the producer side. So I'd see a key marker, too, will be if we see bought deals and we see mid-cap producers start to raise equity, I think that will be a sign to the market to say even a Pipestone 1.5 probability moves up. Why is, to your question, why is Brazo a little different animal than Pipestone? Um, some of it would be contract length as well. Pipestone to build a 1.5, we would like to have 10-year taker pays. We're down at Brazil. We have existing infrastructure. If we have a, a three-year payout project and we get a three-year or four-year deal, um, we, we would likely uh, move forward uh, on, on projects like that. We're definitely trying for five-year area dedications that would have infinite life, but just don't want to overpromise at this point in time. But it's definitely, by the day, it gets better, and we're seeing more interest around all our facilities. There's change of ownership, too, which has been very helpful. Groups like Bellatrix to sell to a Spartan um, would, would be a, a great example uh, to see. Uh, we're seeing new players with capital. Uh, deploying capital into our backyard, but but it's still pretty early as far as the commodity move up and all the new operators that we're seeing in our backyard. Got it. Um, and then just if you were to get Pipestone, you've mentioned a number of times that you're very mindful of leverage. Just wondering though, do you think that, you know, having that, call it just under 4X as a max, do you think that's an appropriate level 
um, if you were to take something of that scale on? Oof, I think so. Uh, Robert, you, you know the, the questions we had for two and three years about our leverage and, and when is it going to come down and even the pressure. And then COVID came in, the energy commodity price environment wasn't great. I don't think our board or any of us as a management to, today would want to be at that four-time range. Or if we were at 4.0 for one month, maybe, but not up at 4.1 to 4.5 for an extended period of time. And I do think we have options there. They're all not perfect, but there's still a lot of capital that would love to, to come into contracted infrastructure, especially if we can add carbon capture or, or a green component to uh, some of our assets. And Pipestone today would be one of the lowest carbon intensity gas plants of that size on the sour side in, in even North America, given it has acid gas injection. And we want to leverage that hopefully into lower cost of capital um, moving forward. Got it. Um, if I can just finish with a question on how you're viewing ultimately your ownership of TWR now that it's public and it's closed. Do you see it as, as look, it's integrated with your existing operations. So do you see it as highly strategic, um, the ability to decarbonize you know, the Prince George refineries fuel and effectively, I guess you think of it as, as almost like a 70% hedge given your ownership. So you like kind of your ownership where it is, or do you see it as also being know financial um, given you started it as a funding source for the project but looking down the road you see this optionality to optimize your capital allocation you know buy back your stock if the valuation spread gets out of line or just to help you fund you know other projects say like a pipestone down the road it's, it's a great question Robert. we committed to the share institutional shareholders of renewables to be supportive for the first year or so, there is a lockup agreement for the first 180 days, but we made a commitment to be supportive. That doesn't mean we have to write a check into a deal. If there wasn't equity financing in six months in renewables, we're not required to write a check. I want to be clear so there won't be any stress on, on our Tidewater Midstream's balance sheet. Um, but I would say highly unlikely in the first 12 months and, and near impossible that you'd see us try and sell down ownership in, into the market. Even the economics on that renewable diesel, renewable hydrogen project, sub two-year payout, $100 million of government support of size and scale, it is by far one of our most economic projects of scale within Tidewater Midstream as well. So um, I, I think there will definitely be discussions over the coming years, don't get me wrong, but at this point in time, Unlikely you'll see any cash injected into renewables, but at the same time, unlikely you'd see us sell down our, our position as well. So lots of thought, and we welcome feedback, advice over the coming years, but the first 12 months, I don't think you'll see a material transaction adding or deleting ownership of, of renewables. Yeah, I was just thinking past the RD projects, are you, how wedded are you to the 69% level or would you be having majority ownership is still pretty supportive. So how are you thinking about it from that perspective? Yeah, um, just, just supportive of the project and we do think it is strategic. It's right next to us. We do sell diesel into that BC market every day, the market's short. So for us to have a renewable product within a subsidiary, we think has significant advantages. And then where we're seeing BCLCFS credits trade today, we don't have a view necessarily that they're continued 
going to increase, but they're increasing, accelerating uh, much quicker than we anticipated. The economics of that project are, are strong, so we'd like to, to remain supportive and are eager to get that project online and, and watch it generate free cash flow. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. And your next question will be for Patrick Kenny at National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Thank you. Hey, guys. Uh, long time, no talk. Um, I know you're heavily contracted on the gas storage front, but, you know, since it's, it's been a while since we've seen uh, a strong seasonal trade like this year, so perhaps you could just comment on the demand for your storage services heading into this winter and what this could mean for perhaps extending some of your contracts um, that you have with your counterparties going forward. It's a great question, Pat. We don't talk a whole bunch about our, our gas storage assets as they are fairly non-material, roughly 10 million of EBITDA or 5% uh, of our cash flow, but we haven't seen this volatility and interest in our gas storage in, in essentially five years. So we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but but the opportunities I do think are significant, even with the FTR. So the TC Energy, the NGTL system has had significant cuts here over the past couple months. Some were unplanned, some were planned, but it was very helpful at Pipestone. We had a few customers where we saw cuts of 30 plus percent, and there was risk they'd have to shut in their oil, not just their gas. So gas prices being strong, that hurts, but it's more shutting in their oil and their liquids. So with, with our storage facility, to your point, it's, it's fairly contracted, so we don't have a ton of space, but we were able to, to help a few of our customers uh, and give them takeaways so that they could continue to produce, produce their oil and, and NGLs. And as volumes pick up, there's likely risk that there's more cuts and more of a demand for storage from the producers. So I would say that's a that's a key synergy for Pipestone and, and down at Brazo. Uh, to your question on kind of volatility, cash flow generation from storage, to your point, we are fairly contracted, so you won't see a material impact corporately, even if gas storage outperforms by 20 or 30%, it's only going to be a, a couple million dollars. So I think we're evaluating all options around gas storage and the value of our gas storage in the last three months has gone way up given the volatility. So um, are open to ideas and even there's there's been some inbounds on on opportunities to expand, connect to Coastal GasLink, but also maybe to, to monetize a portion of the facility as well. So I think we need a little more time, but it, it's a good point. And I do think it's a piece of our portfolio where the value just went up materially. And at BRC, um, now that throughput is back heading in the right direction, um, but just with respect to Transalta, you know, announcing that it's going to hold off on Sun 5, um, also retire a couple units, I guess, that were, you know, coal to gas candidates. Um, I know Pioneer is well contracted, but just wondering from a commercial perspective how you're maybe thinking about repositioning Brazo from a demand pull or market egress standpoint in order to uh, you know maximize net backs for customers longer term. Yeah, it's it's a great again, Pat, another great question. And it was a good discussion at our board meeting yesterday. For the first time frac spreads are at you would know but five, six, seven year highs. So today a frac spread it creates more margin at Brazil River 
than a third-party volume. Um, and, and it eliminates the, the requirement for us to, to have customers and renegotiate contracts. Um, at the same time, we want third-party volumes and we are signing contracts as we speak, like, like the $4 million pipeline that I mentioned on, on the first question. So uh, strategically, it's a great question. I would say today we would prefer a portfolio of both third-party volumes, so producer volumes coming in with contracts, but to see where frac spreads are today, so I know you know this, but just for other folks on the call, it's just essentially where propane, butane, C5 values. So we pull volumes off the NGTL system, we own those liquids, and then we move the gas on to, to Transelta. But when the value of, of those liquids far exceeds uh, gas, and today we're, I believe, at a five, six, seven year high, the margin is actually greater than, than processing volumes. So uh, it, it's a great point, Pat. I think today we would prefer a portfolio, but should WTI move up and should gas roll off after this winter, we may work to lock in more of our frac spreads and and just continue to have Brazil full or maybe even expand Brazil. So first time we've had a problem like this and it's a great problem. We've got more options and more volumes and higher margin problems that, than we've seen in four or five years. That's great. Thanks for that, Joel. Uh, last one for me here, just a quick follow-up on the balance sheet. I know you're back to within your target leverage range, but just in terms of managing liquidity as you pursue some of these um, growth opportunities, how are you thinking about the need to, I guess, first refi the, uh, the high-yield notes before sanctioning any material expansions? And maybe you can comment, you know, at current market pricing, would you be in the money after taking into account early redemption costs at this point, or do you still need to wait to closer to maturity date? Yeah, no, another good question, Pat. So our, our focus is definitely from the finance team to refinance our notes. I would say we have some options in front of us, which is great. We probably need a little more time to work through them. They're positive, but to your point, is it going to be in the money from where we're at today on our $125 million notes? I would say we wouldn't want to set that expectation. There's not any awful options, want to be clear. Um, so in and around where our current notes are, uh, uh, yes, and, and great to have some options that we're working through. And to your point, it is important to us to, to get those notes refinanced and likely to your point, it doesn't have to be before the next project. And most of our projects today are small. We're talking $4 million, five, potentially 15, we're not ready to go on, on Pipestone 1.5 yet, but just want to be clear, and it is a good question, yes. Uh, lots of discussions, lots of options in front of us to refinance our $125 million notes. Great. Thanks again, Joel. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. And at this time, gentlemen, we have no further questions. Please proceed. Thank you. Thanks everyone for your time today. We appreciate it and please don't hesitate to reach out if anybody has any questions, concerns. Thanks. Thanks, Tom, and thanks, Doug. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending. At this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. 
You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.